Holy Spirit, come and ask that you would please help us understand the words that are in Scripture and help, the, help us apply them to our lives. Pray this in your name. Jesus, amen. May be seated. I want to say hello to those of you in the narthex. It is great to have you with us. <clears throat> Whenever I try to log into my computer here at work, if I hit a wrong key, I get this message that says, credentials invalid. Kind of a rude message, don't you think? Like, is that a referendum on my soul, my, my whole life boiled down to those two words, credentials invalid? Do you ever worry that that's what people might think about you? That if you don't live in the right size of house or look a certain way or have what's considered an impressive job, do you ever worry that people might look at you and go, hmm, hmm, credentials invalid? Last, uh, last week I went to a Mariners game and there was this one play where the opposing team hit a ball and it hit the foul pole so it was fair and then it went into the, into the stand so it was a home run for the opposing team. But from inside the stadium you couldn't tell that it hit the foul pole so everyone thought the ump blew the call. So they started to boo him. The whole stadium. And then from then on when everyone, anyone, ever, whenever anyone hit a foul ball the whole crowd would sort of sarcastically mock the ump and say, Home run, home run. Okay, that is my nightmare. <laughs> right, like one day I would preach a sermon and you would all stand up and say, Boo, credentials invalid, boo. And sometimes I think that's how we live our lives. As if there's a stadium of people just waiting to judge us if we don't perform, if we don't achieve, if we don't measure up. Last week we started a sermon series on the book of Galatians. And Galatians has basically one point, and it's this. That what makes us right with God is not our performance, not our good deeds, it's Jesus' death on the cross. Now, does that mean that we can do anything and be forgiven for it if we know Jesus? Yes. No exceptions, no fine print, no hidden fees or penalties. Now, sin wrecks our lives, which is a good reason not to sin, and I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But when we sin, if we know Jesus, we are forgiven, no matter what. The worst villains in history, Unit, Nero, Attila the Hun, whatever, if any of those guys ever came to call Jesus their Savior and Lord, they would go to heaven just like me. Now, just truth be told, I'm not sure I always like that. That means that I might be in heaven someday and Attila the Hun might say to me, Wow, Scott, you made it too. What a surprise. (laughs) That'll get on my nerves. But that's grace. It gets on your nerves. But what that unconditional love of Jesus means for us in everyday terms is freedom, absolute freedom. And Paul uses that word in Galatians over and over and over again. So for the rest of this summer, I want to talk about some of the freedoms that God's unconditional love for us gives us. And the first one I want to talk about is the freedom from having to perform to be accepted. The freedom from having to prove ourselves to God or to anyone else. You know, and that's the issue that Paul faces in the text that we just read. There are people in the Galatian church who are saying, you know what? Paul's not a proper apostle. He's an easy believing Christian who's watering down the Christian message. And so they start asking, well, what are his credentials anyway? Who did he study with? Does he know the original apostles or are his credentials invalid? That is so our culture, isn't it? where we feel this constant pressure to prove ourselves. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that it's wrong to achieve. It's wonderful to achieve. As long as our motivation is because we're loved 
and, and the joy of just the joy of doing what we're doing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pressure that we so often feel that we have to perform in order to be accepted. <clears throat> and by talking about this subject, I am going straight into the belly of the beast of our East Side culture. You know, the Bible talks about powers and principalities that work against God's purposes. Another word the Bible uses for that is demons. And there is a demon that has got a grip on the east side, and I'm going to call it the perform to be accepted demon. And that demon does not want you to hear this sermon today because he does not want to let go of his grip on you. And it starts really young when we think things like, you know, I want to make my dad proud, so I better get good at baseball. Or I want my parents to like me or the teachers to like me, so I'll work really hard and get an A-plus in school, straight A's all the time. Or I want my peers to be impressed, so I'll wear the right clothes, say the right things. And it just keeps going and going. I want to keep up with the neighbors, so I'll get a bigger car. I want to impress the boss, so I'll work 70 hours a week. I want to wow my peers, so I'll strive for the fancy job title in the corner office. I'll always try to get that A. Perform to be accepted. Now, maybe, maybe you don't struggle with this, but don't jump to that conclusion too quickly. I think most of us do at some level or another. I heard a story that kind of illustrates this about a Fortune 500 CEO who was driving with his wife and they pulled into a gas station. And the attendant turned out to be one of his wife's ex-boyfriends. So as they drove off, the CEO was feeling kind of smug about himself. And he said, well, said to his wife, well, I bet right now you're thinking that you're glad you married me, the Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, the gas station attendant. And she said, no, no, actually I was thinking that if I'd married him, he'd be the Fortune 500 CEO, you'd be the gas station attendant. <laughs> There it is, right? <laughs> Perform to be accepted. One job is better than the other, which one makes one person more valuable than the other. Mm -mm, not according to God. That's bunk. And this perform to be accepted, this performance anxiety, this thing was all over my former profession as a university teacher. We were always trying to impress each other. Let me just read you a sentence that kind of captures that. Quote, Aesthetically speaking, Catholic nostalgia functions as a reactionary discourse that marks the distance between the dominant and residual cultures, exposes lacunae within the dominant culture, and resists the epistemological privileging of the Cartesian subject. I have no idea what that means, and I wrote it. I mean, that sentence just screams I'm compensating for my insecurities, doesn't it? And the church world is no better. I remember one time when I was in California, I was in the park with my daughter, and I noticed some people from my church. So I, I started to get way more animated with my daughter, you know, made it look like I was, you know, wanted to look like I was really paying attention to her, because I wanted to look like a good father in front of the church people. There's a theological word for that. Phony. <laughs> but that was a long time ago, and I don't do anything like that anymore. Mm -mm. The truth is that from our bosses, from our peers, from pastors, from parents, we get a lot of messages that say that we have to perform in order to be accepted. Because you know what? Truth be told, most of the time we do. That is just the way the world works. And the result of that is bondage. <clears throat> when we live for the approval of others, then those people dominate our lives and we, we become frantic with effort trying to please them and keep them happy with us. Performance anxiety leads to sin. Just one, for instance, sometimes when someone has a, an affair in a marriage, part of what led to that was this 
pressure they feel inside. They've been living to please the boss, please the spouse, please the kids. All that pressure just leads them to blow up and creates a disaster for everybody. All of that striving to be accepted leads to spiritual death. Because we don't really believe that God loves us unless we perform so we don't experience his love. And it leads to loneliness because we can't be honest about what's really going on inside. Got to keep up appearances. It leads to spiritual, emotional, and social death. But there is one place where we are free of this bondage. One place where we do not have to perform to be loved. And that is with our Heavenly Father. And He can free us from this performance anxiety. And that's what Paul means in this text. The way he starts out, he says, Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I people-pleasing? In the face of critics who say that he lacks the right credentials, Paul says, Nope, my credentials come from Jesus. He says, God set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me. In other words, I have had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. And I know that I know that I know way deep in my bones, I know that I am loved and that He has a plan for me. Paul is secure in who he is because he knows whose he is. Now, it didn't always used to be this way for Paul. He goes on to say, you know, I worked really hard to advance in Judaism way beyond my peers, way beyond people my age. You know, in other words, he's saying, you know, I was on the fast track to become senior Pharisee at First Pharisaical Church, Jerusalem. (laughs) But none of those credentials matter to him anymore. In the book of Philippians, he says, I count all my credentials, all my achievements, all my accolades. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Only in the Greek, the actual Greek word he uses there isn't rubbish. I can't actually say what he actually says in the Bible because it's not a church word, even though it's in the Bible. Go figure that one out. But basically what Paul's saying is I've been set free from the need to perform and show my credentials to anybody. You see, my worth, my value is not in the fact that I'm ordained or that I went to seminary or that I talked to a captive audience once a week. And in order to be polite, you have to at least look like you're paying attention. Most of you do anyway. God doesn't give two hoots about those things. What gives me worth is my relationship with Jesus and that he's called me to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. My credentials are rubbish. My call is holy. And that's not just for pastors. That's for everybody. Your worth, your value is not in your credentials. It's not in the accolades. Those won't last anyway. You're only as good as your last sale. Your worth is in the fact that the God of the universe before you were born set you apart. And called you to be, to be free by Jesus' grace. To walk in His power. To live in His integrity. To rise in His victory. To shine with His joy. And He wants to spend eternity with you. Eternity with you. That's a long time. Take that as a vote of confidence in you. Before He made the Adam, He had you in mind. You are His daughter who He loves. You are His son in whom He is well pleased. A unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. You are a child of the King. And that is your work. And if Jesus lives inside of you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your junk, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your failures or your accomplishments for that matter. He sees Jesus inside of you and Christ's righteousness wrapped around you. And when you experience that kind of love, it sets you free. It sets you absolutely free from this performed to be accepted demon. And it makes you want to avoid sin. Not to earn God's love, but because we are loved. And we trust Him and we want to do what He says. And how do we experience this life-changing love? Lots of ways. 
It helps to be in worship, to be reminded of it. It helps to read scripture, to hear how God feels about you. It helps to have a community of other people around you who love you like Jesus loves you, warts and all. But the best thing you can do is ask for it over and over again. So how about this? This summer, let me give you an assignment. Between now and Labor Day, every day, pray, pray this prayer. Jesus, make your love real to me, not just in my head, but in my heart. In California, my wife and I had a friend who I'll call Sarah who spent the first part of her life doing some pretty destructive things. She drank a lot. She slept with a lot of different men. At one point, she ended up having an abortion. And then she got interested in Jesus because he offered forgiveness and second chances, and, 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 and she wanted that. But there was one thing Sarah refused to do. She would absolutely not come to church because she was just sure that if she did and people found out about her past, well, they'd throw her out. But she asked Jesus to forgive her, and, and gradually she began to feel forgiven. Well, around this time, she, by this time, she'd been married to a great guy for a couple of years, and, and they had these two great kids together. And one day she said to my wife, you know, I don't understand why so many good things are happening to me. I always thought I'd never get married because I'd slept with so many men, and God would punish me for that by never giving me a husband. And then I thought for sure that I'd never have kids because God would want to punish me for the abortion. And Christina said, God doesn't work that way. He forgives us if we ask him to. All we have to do is admit our sin. And for Sarah, that was a huge breakthrough, to realize that God wasn't out there just waiting to zap her, but that he loved her, and that she didn't have to hide her past from him or anyone else. She could confess it and move on into the new life he had for her. And she began to want to behave differently. She wanted to. She saw that her old life had made her miserable, so she wanted to obey God's commands, not to earn his love, but because she knew he loved her. And therefore, his commands must be in her best interests. But she still wouldn't go to church. She didn't feel like she had the right church credentials. Didn't wear the right church clothes. She hadn't had a church life. She certainly didn't use church language. But every now and then, she'd give it a try, go to church, and on about third or fourth time trying out church, she met a woman who noticed some of Sarah's eccentricities and made some judgmental comments about Sarah behind her back, and those comments got back to Sarah. And she was just furious. One day, she was, Sarah was telling me about all this using vocabulary that was truly inventive. I mean, as a scholar of language, I was fascinated to discover that certain four-letter words can indeed be used as a gerund. It's really interesting. She said, I hate people like that church woman. That's what she called her, the church woman. So she should go home and look up the word hypocrite in the dictionary. There'd be a picture of her right next to it. I hate it when people talk about other people behind their backs. Apparently not noticing she was telling me the story behind the church woman's back. But then she kind of paused and her anger suddenly just disappeared. She had a thought. And she said, you know, I don't know. All I know is this, that every single day I get up and I say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins because I sure do need it. And you got to change me because if you don't, Nobody can. And then she said, I suppose it's the same for everyone in church, isn't it? Even church lady. And I said, yeah, even church lady. We're all just forgiven sinners. And somehow that shifted something for Sarah because a month later she asked if I'd baptize her in front of the whole church because she said, I feel at home there now. See, Sarah realized that her credentials were not in her clothes, her job, her past, or anything other than the fact that she was clothed in Christ's righteousness. And that freed her from the performed-to-be-loved demon, freed her enough to stand in front of a congregation unafraid of what people might think of her. 
She didn't have to prove anything to anybody. She was the daughter of the king. She was loved by God. You know, if when I get to heaven, if Jesus were to say to me, you know, Dudley, why should I let you in? What are your credentials? You know, if I were to say to him at that point, well, I went to church and I gave money and I was the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue. (laughs) Jesus would say, you never got it, did you, Dudley? So I'm not going to say that. If Jesus were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, well, you probably shouldn't, Lord. I might just mess it up. And I certainly have no virtue of my own to offer you. But you promised that if I trusted that your death on the cross paid the price for my sins, you promised that would be enough. And I put all my chips double down on you, Jesus. So if that's not how it is, I'm in trouble because that was my plan A and I don't have a plan B. And Jesus is going to say, welcome home, son. Our worth, our value, your worth, your value is not in our credentials, whether they're spiritual or otherwise. Our value rests in this fact alone. The God of the universe loved us enough to die for us. You know, every once in a while in church here, we have our our Sunday school kids come out and they sing. And when they come out, what's the first thing they start doing, the little ones? Scan in the crowd, right? And who are they looking for? Mom and dad. But there could be a thousand people in here and the only people they want to see are their parents. And do their parents care if their kids sings like Pavarotti? I mean, for the most part, no. And even if, you know, we want them to look good or cute or whatever, it mostly just gives us joy to watch our kids sing because we love them, not because they perform. And if that's us who are sinful, how much more joy does our Heavenly Father get from seeing us not because we perform, but simply because He loves us? And our whole lives can be lived in that kind of freedom. Looking past all of those people out there who make us feel like if we don't accomplish, achieve, perform, succeed, that we won't be accepted, we can look past all of them and lock eyes with our Heavenly Father and live our lives to an audience of one. Knowing that because of Jesus, He loves us no matter what. Think of the freedom that would bring. The freedom from that pressure to have to perform, to feel like you've got to do that. To be accepted. And then freedom to become like Jesus, not to earn his love, but because we are loved. So this week, will you pray, Lord, make your love for me real? And then I want to ask you to do one more thing. Bible says that when we break agreement with the devil's lies and when we come in agreement and claim God's promises in Jesus name, our words have power to unleash the forces of heaven and bind the forces of hell here on earth. So I'm going to ask you to do a little repeat-after-me exercise. Don't worry. It won't be uncomfortable. might be a little Presbycostal or Penetarian, but (laughs) think of it as a responsive reading and you'll be just fine. I'll say it first and I'll ask you to repeat it after me. Here's what I want you to say. I break agreement with the devil's lie that I have to perform to be accepted. And I choose to believe God's truth that because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Father unconditionally loves me. Okay, repeat this after me like you mean it. I break agreement with the devil's lie that I have to perform to be accepted. And I choose to believe God's truth that because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Father unconditionally loves me you may not feel it right now but you just set your heart a little bit more free 
And right now the devil is mad. Oh boy, howdy is he mad because you just tore down a fortress that he and our culture had built in your heart and he was counting on that fortress to make your life miserable and you just took it away. And because you did that in Jesus' name, there's not a darn thing he can do about it. You do not have to prove yourself to God. You do not have to earn his approval. You do not have to prove yourself to anybody. Your name is no longer performed to be accepted. Your name is beloved daughter, son in whom he is well pleased. You are a child of God. You are born again free. So this week, enjoy your freedom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come, that you would replace that empty spot, that that lie that we drove out of our mind, that lie that we lie that we drove out of our heart. Holy Spirit, replace that with your love, your power, your grace, your presence, and most of all, your truth. Holy Spirit, help us hear the voice of our Father saying, You are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I'm proud of you. And then, Lord, help us to claim the forgiveness that Jesus bought us and help us to become more like him and we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.